Good evening. Today is Tuesday, January 18, 2022, and we are studying the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. This week's chapter is How It Works, and our speaker tonight is Laurie C. Thank you so much, Laurie. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, I very much appreciate the opportunity to speak. Um, I had to switch to my phone. I'm having trouble with the internet. So pardon me that I'm sort of looking at the wrong angle. But uh, at any rate, um, chapters, uh, the chapter How It Works, chapter five of the uh, uh, OA, of the big book, uh, contains uh, some pretty important information. And I, I don't have time in 20 minutes to go over the whole thing. And I, I want to highlight the parts that seem to me to be uh, among the most significant for people who want to choose their own conception of a higher power, which is the theme of this meeting and which I am very, very sympathetic to. Uh, I come from, a, uh, uh, I'm a third generation agnostic slash atheist, atheistical agnostic, agnostical atheist. My, my grandparents rejected the Orthodox Judaism of their parents uh, in favor of a very secular uh, Jewish life. And um, I, uh, when I first came into this fellowship, I was faced with the God thing, and it was not an easy thing to deal with because um, I didn't believe in any of that. Uh, I had studied a great deal of philosophy. Um, I uh, came to the conclusion based on my studies that it was impossible to prove the existence or non-existence of God. So that makes me an agnostic in that sense but I don't believe in a God. So that makes me an atheist in that sense. Uh, and what did I do? You know, and I remember the first time the gift I was given by my first sponsor, buttressed by my later studying seven years later, because I went through periods of relapse uh, for seven years until I've now been able to have that miracle of recovery for over 28 years, it'll be 29 years, um, uh, May the 1st of this year, the gift I was given was that my first sponsor asked me a simple question. Is there anything more important than you are? And that was an easy answer. I, I, I thought about it for about two or three days to get an in-depth answer, but the first answer was easy. My children were young, our children were young. I had been at, uh, in the delivery room uh, for both of their births. And I held them in my arms uh, a minute or a minute and a half after they were born. And I knew in that moment as I held them that I would die for them and that I would die for my wife and it would be automatic. And clearly the love I felt for them was more important than my own existence. So I knew that love in an abstract but also very practical way is more important than I am. And when I thought about it, I also came to the realization that although I may not be the most courageous person in the world, that I do believe in three other things. And they, they may mean different things to you than they mean to me. And each, each person I've ever discussed this with has their own sense of their fundamental deep concepts and they may have different words. But for me, it's love, it's truth, it's justice and it's beauty. And that these are things that will live beyond me. In the chapter we agnostics, the big book says, not only do we choose our own conception of God, but that deep down within us is a fundamental idea of God and it is blocked off from us. 
by calamity, things that bad that have happened to us, by pomp, a sense of self-importance, and by worship of other things, people's opinions, wealth, prestige, um, power. Uh, and as we read through the book, and especially in this chapter, chapter three, we learn that the purpose of steps four through nine, the inventory process, is to unblock the passageway between what we fundamentally believe in and how we think and act. And this is really key to the understanding of anyone, whether deeply religious or a non-believer like me. Deep down within me is this fundamental idea of something more important than I am, something that theoretically at least I would die for, but certainly that will live beyond me and that I would like to live by or according to. And the problem though, and other people have specific gods, is that I have been blocked off from them. And the, the process that starts in, in chapter five, how it works, is the process of the inventory whereby we discover what is blocking us and we take the steps to unblock it. So that what we deeply believe in, in our, if you will, in our hearts, goes up through an unblocked pipeline to our heads where we think and act. And you can see that all the way through the big book that the concept is that the flow is what's important. We have to keep the blockage from coming back. Um, and we do that in steps 10 through 12. But once we have this flow from our heart to our head, we're living in harmony as much as is possible with what we deeply believe in. We're not living contrary to it. And when we don't live contrary to it, when we live in harmony with it, our minds are clear. We basically know how we should conduct ourselves. We basically have a sense of direction in our lives. And as long as we have this sense of direction and a sense of harmony, we're sane. And this sanity gives us the miracle I came to Overeaters Anonymous for, which is the miracle of being able to watch people eat the things that I used to pig over and not want it. And that freedom, that neutrality around food is the true miracle that I came for. I didn't come to find God. I had a sense of deep values already. What I came was to, what I came for was to deal with my food addiction. And the steps provided me with the means by which I would deal with that. And by the way, gave me a, the ability to be directly connected with what I uh, believe in, with my fundamental beliefs. So for me, the chapter we agnostics deep down within us is the fundamental idea of God is essential to understanding some of the words in uh, chapter five, how it works. And the big book starts off after listing the steps and after sort of describing steps one and two in the what are called the ABCs on page 60. The big book talks about, it says, being convinced on page 60 of these ABCs, used to say in the original draft, if you're not convinced, reread this book or throw it away, which I've always thought, I always wish they had kept. But anyway, being convinced we were at step three which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. What do we mean by that? And what do we do? 
Well, what's most important here is to understand that first, the big book is going to tell us what we mean by turning our will and our life over. And then they're going to tell us what we do. And what we do is to say the step three prayer, which is found on whatever the page is, 63. That's it. That's, that's all we do. Because to do step three is simply to make a decision to start the rest of the steps, to go on through steps four through nine. There's nothing significant about it other than you make a decision. Uh, I can decide to be on this uh, uh, at this meeting, but I'm not going to be on it if I don't type in the Zoom link and type in the password and turn on my camera and speak. Uh, I, have to, I have to follow my decision with the actions that are necessary for me to, to uh, uh, come forward with, with the decision, to be constant with the decision. So the discussion on pages 60 to 63 of what the big book means by turning our will and our life over it are, are, is essential to understanding what the big book then means in the, in the discussion in the same chapter on uh, with the four defects of character that are set out in uh, the uh, resentment section of uh, step four that are discussed in the chapter, how it works. So I'll, I'll be very brief on this. And, and if anyone's interested in more, I've got my email listed under my name. And you can also go to oabigbook.info, uh, which is a website that contains a lot of information about uh, the big book and over it is anonymous. Um, so we, uh, on page 60, the big book says, we decide to turn our will and our life over. What do we mean by that? What do we do? First of all, they discuss will, then they discuss life. And what they say about the addict is that the addict has to be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success that if we try to be in charge of life, we don't succeed because life doesn't go our way. And that's our essential problem, is that although other people, as we find out a little bit later, although other people can handle the fact that life doesn't go our way, the fact that life doesn't go our way is what kills us because it sends us back to our addiction because it confuses our mind and our mind keeps giving us permission to go back to that which we know deep in our hearts, we must abstain from. So they, there's a wonderful uh, uh, metaphor here about we're the actor in a, in a musical, but we would love to be the director. We'd love to be the choreographer. We'd love to be the playwright, the, uh, the, uh, the lighting, uh, the scenery person. We might have extremely good motives for wanting the play to go well, but essentially we would like to be in charge. And when we try to be in charge, it doesn't work. As a matter of fact, very often people resist us. And the big book is clear, and this is really important because Orbeez Anonymous is full of people who are not like the alcoholics uh, who were the original uh, uh, writers of the big book or the, the models of the big book. Many of those people were people who, who were victimizers. They did bad things and their amends were to undo the bad things that they did. Many of us in a way, and I'm, I'm lucky not to have suffered in this way, are victims or have been victims or are victims of life. 
we have been badly treated and some of us traumatically abused. And, and so to understand that the big book is saying that regardless of our motives, our problem is that we want life to go our way, is to understand that it doesn't matter whether we want life to go our way just so we can have what we want out of life or just not to have had these terrible things happen to us. Whatever that is, that is wanting our will. I want, I'm in a very minor sense, I want life not to have gone the way it has. Many of my friends have much more of a right to say that. I mean, they, you know, the abuse that they've suffered, uh, they, no one has a right to be abused the way they have. And their wish not to be abused uh, is an absolutely understandable and, and, and good wish. They, they shouldn't have been abused. But the big book calls that not just self-will or wanting to play God, it actually calls it selfish, which is not what the dictionary would define as being selfish. But the big book uses that word to describe, excuse <coughs> me, for whatever motive, wanting things to go my way. <coughs> and that's really, that's really important to understand. So the problem is that we want to be in charge of life and life doesn't go our, own, our way and it's killing us. And then that's what it means when it says we have to turn our life, our will over. It means we can't be in charge of life. Uh, first of all, because it doesn't work. And second of all, because for the addict, it kills us. And uh, the big book makes that clear on pages 60 to, to uh, 62. It says our troubles are basically out of our own making. Page 62, they rise, arise out of ourselves and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must, or it kills us. Other people can handle it. They can, but we can't. And, and many of us live in the past. We live in, oh, if only I could have done that. If only that had not happened to me. If only this, I would have, I could have, I should have. Um, if only I could do this now, but I can't. If only people would like me. If only, you know, uh, all these things, if, if, if. Um, and that is, is killing us because it confuses our minds and sends us back to the food all the time. So the big book at the bottom, page 62, says, first of all, we have to quit playing God. It didn't work. That's the will part. Turning our will over means we can't be in charge. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He's the principal. We're his agents. He's the father. We're his children. Language that I don't like. I got to tell you, it just ain't my language. But I understand what it means. It means from my perspective that I have to trust that the things I most deeply believe in will govern my life better than what I want out of life. That if I live according and in consonance, in harmony with what I deeply believe in, my life will be better. My reactions to life will be better and I will live a better life. And that if I give it up to what I deeply believe in and trust that if I live according to what I deeply believe in, uh, my decisions will be more appropriate. Uh, that means turn my life over to the care of truth for me, truth, love, justice, and beauty. And I, and, and I can't emphasize how significant that has been for me in the last 28 and a half years to understand that if I'm having difficulties in my reaction to life, 
It's that I'm not really thinking of how a truthful, loving, um, justice-seeking and beauty-seeking person should handle life. And when I concentrate on that, I, I am free of fears. I am free of resentments. Uh, I, am, I have a clarity in my relationships with other people. I have no time at all to talk about step four, other than to say that on, in step four, when the big book uses the word selfish, and it, it talks on, on page 66, it, it, it gives us, uh, I'm sorry, uh, page 67. After we go through our resentments, there are four character defects, and the big book approaches only four. And selfish, meaning wanting to be in charge of life regardless of the motives. Dishonest, very important to understand that dishonest doesn't just mean lying, cheating, and stealing. Dishonest can mean not telling the truth when the truth should be told, especially if, like me, on, you know, truth is important. If I am more worried about what people think of me than I am about the truth, then I'm, not, I'm being dishonest to my very nature. And dishonesty can also be lying to myself about reality. If I keep living in a world in which the past didn't happen, if only I'd had a great childhood, if only I hadn't lost that job, if three only minutes. I had two minutes, three minutes, if three. only I had, you know, I had married so-and-so, I, I don't know, whatever it is. If you continue to live in the past, regretting the decisions that you made or the decisions you didn't make, then you are lying to yourself about the reality, which is that you are an adult person who is in charge of yourself, who has an ability to change their reaction to life. And that's an essential dishonesty um, that's important. Self-seeking is the third uh, um, defective character. And that means using other people to define how you feel about yourself. I, could, I should be in charge. If I were in charge, life would be better. If they like me, I must be likable. Uh, using other people in relationships, not because of who they are, but how they can make you feel. And very often we find that we chose relationships that made us feel lousy because we feel lousy about ourselves. But whatever it is, self-seeking is, is that problem. So this chapter contains so much, uh, very difficult to summarize it. But I thought from the point of view of choosing your own conception of God, it is important to point out that it's the fundamental values. We are setting up an ideal for ourselves. And once that ideal is, is sort of in our minds, we can then approach our fears because the fear of prayer is basically, what would my ideals have me be in relation to this? Well, for me, a loving, honest, accepting person who tries to find the beauty in life, who accepts the reality of uh, the vicissitudes of life, and who does his best to do what's right. And uh, once I know that, then I, I lose my fears and I become an adult facing, facing the reality of the situation rather than a kid hiding under the bedclothes because of the boogeyman under, underneath the bed. And, and so this vision of, you know, I say choose your own concepts of God, my suggestion is you choose your fundamental values, what you deeply believe in. And then you will, you will really have this sense that as you work steps four through nine, you'll get rid of the barriers that block you from what you most deeply believe in. And you will end up, and I'm just finished, you will end up with the miracle that I've had for over 28 years, which is that I can be around 
everything that used to tempt me and not want it and be happy for the people who enjoy it and not be jealous of them. And that is a true miracle. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laurier. I'm so happy that, that you're here and I got to hear you live and direct. Thank you so much. <laughs> we will now open the meeting for questions or for three minute shares as this is a big book study. Sharing and questions should relate specifically to the chapter and step being studied this week. We ask you to accept this guideline in order to keep the meeting on track. If you'd like to share or ask your question, please raise your virtual hand, which is under reactions or star nine if you're on the telephone and the Zoom hosts will call the raised hands in order and ask you to unmute when it's your turn. Can you hear me okay? Would the timekeeper please set a timer for three minutes for each share and announce when the time is up. If the speaker is asked a question, please allow three minutes for the answer. We will now stop the recording for unrecorded questions or shares. No, no, no. Oh, sorry. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, Joy, we do that later. <laughs> no worries. Um, I'll go ahead and start um, calling on folks. So we have first up Leslie Kay. There it goes. Hi. Um, thank you so much. Uh, let me just clear that. Okay. <clears throat> um, thank you very much, for, uh, Lori, for being here this evening and talking to us. I, I, um, a, I'm a huge fan of uh, the OABigBook.info, and I have never experienced, um, I never understood why I relapsed after I take back popcorn until I read page seven of uh, the OA big book dot info and uh, where you break down fat and the combination of fat and salt. And um, I can, I can live without popcorn if you don't add salt and fat. Um, doesn't, doesn't matter to me at all, but if you add salt and fat, I can't resist it. And so, except in my abstinence. <clears throat> um, I am in living in that state of grace that you talked about uh, that is such a thrill for me. After all the years that I've been um, in and out of these rooms, I finally have um, uh, a, a, an abstinence that I believe is in um, alignment with my higher power. And my higher power, I smiled uh, on the birthday weekend when you said, um, oh God, I, I, I wrote it down so many times, love, truth, justice, and beauty, because I added joy immediately. Love, truth, justice, beauty, and joy, because I am so goosed with the spirit of recovery being in this abstinence. And so um, if you could talk just a little bit about that, the, the, the addition that people add to the love, truth, uh, justice, and beauty, and how you feel about all that, I'd love to hear. Thank you so well, much, Lori. Thank you. Thank you. I, I believe that people have to find their own words. For me, beauty includes joy, you see. So I don't need to use the word joy, but other people would rather use joy than beauty. 
And justice means different things to different people. I mean, to some people, it might mean the justice system. It doesn't to me. To me, justice is just fairness and equity and all that. So the language should be each person's language and not my language at all. Uh, you know, you know uh, loving kindness might come to some people rather than love. You know, so no, you have to pick the key words that make sense to, to, to you and not, I, you know, use the words that I use because they mean different things to me than they might mean to someone else. Thank you for the question and for, for that answer, Lori. Next, we'll go with uh, Kristen H. Lori, uh, thank you. Oh, sorry, I'm Kristen H., a recovering compulsive overeater. Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, you know, this, I am on day three after what has become just this heart-wrenching relapse. And um, I, uh, this, your talk today has summed up some conversations I've been having. And I really love what you were saying about finding your values. I was actually talking to my therapist about this about 11 years ago when I was working with a doctor before I was in 12 steps, I came up with three values, core values for my life. And, um, I was talking about them today for the first time in a while and they're taking risks. And for me, that means like having relationships, you know, taking new jobs, moving new places, um, having deep and meaningful relationships with, with other humans and then taking care of my body. And I was thinking about some of my actions this weekend while I'm listening to the birthday party and binging and how they directly controvert those values. I'm harming my body. I'm isolating because you can't talk to someone and shove cookies in your mouth. And, um, and then I'm not, I'm not taking risks. And, um, so, what I'm, what I'm coming to and what's happening as I hear you and I think about this and I'm talking with my sponsors that it's all reminding me of what my higher power is and what role the higher power needs to take in my life. So I so appreciate the message you have. It just, it's amazing. These meetings where you just, you just kind of hear what you need to hear. So I really appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Could I just say one thing? And that is you, you mentioned the direction one of the things that has really helped me is when I think about direction from my higher power, it's like the true north and, 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 and I'm, I'm getting direction. It's pulling me towards it. When I'm living in my addiction, I'm going in the, I'm going to south, you know? So that's, I just thought it's, an, it's a good image for me. Okay. Thank you so much, Kristen. Next, we will go to Aaron B. Hi, I'm Erin B. Um, recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Lori. It was thank you for your service at this meeting and the birthday party and in general to this program. It's an incredible amount of time that you dedicate to us, um, and we are all blessed for it. You know, I I really liked that you mentioned like we you didn't come here to find God. Nobody comes to OA. I don't know. Not nobody. I didn't come to OA to find God. Right? Like the first time around, I came to lose weight. And that did not work. And then the second, this time around, I came to stop eating compulsively, which is a profound difference. Um, but it's still something I don't know how to, I don't even know how to put it into words, but I know that this time around something for me within steps one, two, and three, like within one, two, and three, some like 
something shifted in me and this became all about God. And I don't think this would have worked for me had, had I not had that shift. Like at this point, I know that if food becomes loud in my head, or if I have a certain reaction to it, like I know that that means I need to put it down. And it's not that I'm excited about that idea, but I know that I will do it. I might drag my feet on it. I might pout about it for a few days, but I know that I will do it because like what I'm unwilling to do at this point is sacrifice what I think God has on the other side of putting that food down. Like I have seen the miracles that happen. I have seen that it's always my resistance in my brain. That's harder than actually putting the thing down. Like once I do it, surrender is really easy. Right. But I build it up in my head and develop all of this fear around it and all these feelings about it. Um, but like reluctant surrender is still surrender. <laughs> and so you know, as long as I am willing to do it, even if I'm kind of pouting about it, I just, I know I'm going to get there this time because I just, I, I won't sacrifice the miracles and the promises that I've seen happening in this program. Um, and I think that's all I have. So thank you for, for sharing with us. I look forward to hearing you again. Thanks, Erin. Um, I'll just take a quick share next, if that's okay. I'm Victoria W. I'm a recover compulsive overeater and insulin manipulator in Miami, Florida. It's so great to be here with, even though I feel like I spent all weekend with all y'all, it's great to just be back. <laughs> um, I really just want to thank our speaker for the, for the message. Um, for me, I know for me, step three, when I think like, I remember I didn't, I didn't want to need a higher power, but when I was in the depths of my illness, it became so abundantly clear that that's the only way this was going to work. Um, and so I felt like I was like gripping onto my way and just having one finger peeled back at a time. Um, but what I love about step three is that I'm not, I am not deciding that I'm going to unclog the, the pipe between me and my higher power a hundred percent of the time, every day, all day for the rest of my life. I'm just deciding that like, yes, this is important and I need to do it. Like, I'm not actually, I don't have to do it yet. <laughs> like I'm just, I'm just saying, okay, okay. I'm going to do it. I know that, I know that this is the way, this is the solution. Um, and for somebody like me who was reluctant, but knew how necessary it was, I think that was a, that was a beautiful way of that message coming to me. Um, and it made me willing to take those steps. And I was just thinking, I also really appreciate your definition of different, of different defects and giving those examples. I, I love to say, well, I didn't lie. I didn't lie about anything, but I misrepresent reality all the time. And I always have to say, or there's something that I'm expecting somebody to read my mind, but I haven't told them what I'm thinking. That's also something that's, which is like, I'm sure nobody on here can relate to that. Right. But I think it's just so funny how often I can be, you know, and then that can lead to resentment or, you know, selfishness. I find sometimes find it confusing about like, well, am I allowed to have a desire as long as I'm not, a, you know, gripping the outcome and, you know, is that the same as selfishness? But I love, you know, today I have to, and I'm embarrassed about this, but I have to do a 10 step tonight about buying peeled and devein shrimp and they're never devein. And I just feel like that's really stupid, but I'm just going to share it because those are the things that I could just say like, that's dumb. I don't actually care about this. You know, I won't, it won't bother me again until the next time it happens. But those are the things that like, why does that piss me off? Because I think I run the world. Cause I think everything's it's, I paid extra for them to be devein. That's what they promised me. Right. And I didn't get what I was promised. Like, no, I mean, 
shit happens. It's, it's totally fine. Um, it didn't kill anybody, but when I become disturbed about things like this, it's exactly that the ideals, uh, specifically the acceptance, it's the harmony is not there. And when it is there, that's when serenity enters and I can have a beautiful new experience that I was previously not able to in the food. So I'll pass with that. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share. Okay. Oh, and I guess I need to stay um, unmuted to say, we're now going to stop the recording. Oh, sorry, Joy, I took your part. Uh, we're going to stop the recording.